0: Welcome to Renewal Church. My name is Jared Kirk, lead pastor, and I'm glad that you are here today. I was out last week, and I'm glad to be back here with my spiritual family. Um, You you know, we've got every uh, August and September, our church is full of new people and guests who are here with us for the first time. And so I realize you may not, not know me very much, and so I wanted to share a little bit about myself as we get started. We're talking about making wise decisions. And the three most important decisions I ever made in my life were, number one, What do I do with Jesus? I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I know a lot of people did. I didn't. And so when I was about 16, almost 17 years old, I had this life-changing encounter with Jesus, and I had decided, what am I gonna do with Jesus? And so that was the number one most shaping decision I ever made. The second most life-shaping decision I made was to marry Heather. And that has turned out to be just the most unbelievable, crazy blessing in my life that I never even knew what. What a good decision I was making because when I was like, we got married pretty young. I was 22, thank you, and she was 20, and so um, she had never even tasted alcohol before, I don't think, and um, until we went on a, until we went on a cruise and got one of those flashing cups. Don't tell your grandma, and um, it, it was it was just the greatest blessing I could ever have in my life. Now, when I was 22, when I was looking for a wife, the criteria that I was was looking for was like. Super hot, smoking hot, and low drama. And I thought that that's what made a great wife. And now that I'm a little bit older, I realize actually that, um, that if you want a wife who is godly, a wife who is hardworking, a wife who is frugal and still smoking hot at 30. So I, I'm doing pretty good with that. And those are some of the decisions that shaped my life. Number three was the decision to stay in school. Um not in like sixth grade. This was, I, I was in college studying biomedical engineering and I, I, I didn't wanna do it anymore. I wanted to, to, to switch schools, to drop out of that degree and go to Bible college so I could be a pastor. And um, I, I thought that that was like, I'm like, oh, clearly Jesus wants me to do this, obviously. So I went and talked to my dad about it and he's like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life, don't do that. And I was like, well, my dad doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm gonna go talk to my pastor. Definitely, my pastor's gonna be the one who's like, yeah, sure, drop out of your engineering degree and go to Bible college. And my pastor was like, Yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't do that. Definitely don't do that. You could go to seminary after school if you want to, that'd be a great plan. So I'm like, ah, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm gonna go talk to my youth pastor. And so I went and talked to him. He's a man named Garland, one of the few people I know, named after Christmas decorations. And so I go to Garland and I say, hey, I want to drop. And he says, Don't do that. That's a terrible idea. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I get it, fine. I will stay in school, and I will finish my degree. And as I look back in my life, I, I, I was barely smart enough, but I was just smart enough to follow some godly advice, make a good decision. That was part of God's plan for my life, and, and I ended up pastoring and starting churches. I've, I've helped start churches in Charlotte, and now here in Boston. We've been here for about five years. And as you think about the decisions that shape your life, right? Part of what we're all trying to do is make good decisions today that are going to be good for us in the future as well. Right? You don't want to just make a good decision for today. You want to make a decision that's good for today and good for you five years from now as well. That's part of what makes good decisions. And me uh, staying in school turned out to be a, a decision that was good for the moment and has also been good for me for the rest of my life. That's part of what made it a good decision. Now, I did, go- I did a good job on that when it came to school but I've done a terrible job on this when it comes to dieting. I don't know if you guys have this issue or not, but it's like, I, I start diets and I get on them, I'm really streaky with them for a few minutes, I eat good food, and then after that, uh, I just start eating um, zebra cakes. You know what zebra cakes are? Or I'm just like, you know what? I think we need to do something special to build our family. Let's go to Kane's Donuts and it just goes right out the window, and I make, I make decisions today that I end up regretting later. Good decisions are good for you today, and they're good for you tomorrow, and most of us have some decisions that we've made that have led to regret in our lives. We get to a point in our life where I say, I wish I had saved my money back then so that then I could get an apartment or a condo or a home today, and I wish I had done it back then because then I'd be in a better place. We, wish, we say, you know, I wish I had accepted that job. I wish I had taken that route because then I'd be in a better position now. I wish I had asked her out back then because then I might have a girlfriend or a wife today. And maybe, you know, maybe that's a challenge for you and you need somebody to just give you a little push to get to find somebody and, and ask her out. We say things like, I wish I had... I wish I had worked out more back then because then I would look better now. Yesterday, we had a baptism service at the beach. Some of you were there, it was incredible. And on the way to our section of the beach, we had to drive past M Street. And I looked out there at all the meatheads and I looked down at myself and I thought, you know what? This is as good as it gets. This is is what I'm working with. If I wanted it to be better, I should have worked out six months ago right? We have regrets because of the decisions we made in the past that brought us to where we are now. Here's something that we all know about decision making, and this is in your notes. So I'd like you to take out your your teaching notes for today and write this down. My decisions lead to either reward or regret. My decisions lead to either reward or regret, and it's something that we all know that's true. And yet we often make decisions forgetting about how they impact our future. Now, this is something that we all know intellectually, but it's hard for us to practice practically. And one of the reasons is that the future hasn't become real to us yet. When we imagine ourselves in the future, and that gets crystal clear, and that gets, cr- and that gets totally real for us, then it changes our decision-making in the present. Let me give you an example. Um, have, you ever, have you ever known somebody who is getting married and that wedding date was set. And then all of a sudden, the diet gets real. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, you know who you are who just got married in the church, right? And it's like, and Andy got so buff. Did you guys see Andy? Like, he was, he just got ripped. He got shredded. I'm like, what happened? It's because... There's that wedding, the same thing happened for me when I got married. When you go, okay, there's a date now, August 5th, that's my anniversary, and you go like, everyone's gonna be there, they're all gonna be looking at me, and also it's gonna be my wedding night, like, wow, this future just got very real for me, so it's gonna change my decision making, and the diet's gonna get super real. Now, when you imagine yourself standing in front of all those people, and you visualize it, it gets real, it changes your decision making. now. Let me connect this with the Bible and your spiritual life, if I can. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, the Apostle Paul is talking about the future and focusing on a vision of the future and how that impacts the choices and decisions you make today. It's in 2 Corinthians 4.18. It's on the front of your teaching notes. Here's what it says. It says, so we don't look at the trouble that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So if you want to circle a phrase in there, circle that phrase that we we fix our gaze. In other words that future becomes real to us. We, we imagine ourselves in that future. It's not just abstract. It's become real and concrete, and it affects the decision-making that you have now. He says, look not just to the things that you can see that are temporary, but to that future that's eternal, and as a result, that will shape your decision-making. It has to become real to you that one day you will stand in front of Jesus, and it will be a moment of either reward or regret, for you, because that's what the Bible says that, that all of us one day will have to stand in front of Christ. When when my funeral comes around, when I die, and, and you guys are all at my funeral, you'll be crying your eyes out. I won't be there. My body will be there, I won't be there. I'll be standing in front of Jesus and receiving and, and, and experiencing either reward or regret. Because that day is coming according to the Bible. So The Bible says, if you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, heaven is your home. It's it's an eternal home. It's not built with human hands. So you can know that your future is in heaven with Christ. And when you have that hope and you're fixated on that future and you fix your gaze on that future, it's affecting the decisions that you make today. Now, in our series, we've been talking about making better decisions. And we said, you know, if you could see everything that God sees, you'd make better decisions, wouldn't you? In fact, if you could make, if you could see just a part of what God sees, if you could just see five days into the future, do you think you'd make better decisions? Yeah, you better believe you would. So if we're able to gain God's perspective on our decision making, we will make better decisions. So we talked about how God's word, that was week one, God's word gives us his perspective. It's like, you want to know what God thinks? He wrote a book. Read the book and it shapes your perspective on your decision making. In week two, um, Ken Gilming taught about receiving godly counsel and following the advice of godly people and how much a church contributes to that in your life and seeing things through God's perspective. And today, we're talking about making decisions with eternity in mind. How you've got decisions to make about, about your job, about your career, about your, your dating life, about, <laughs> about whether to get married, about all of these things, about whether to move. And when you make that decision with eternity in mind, you make better decisions. So write this down, it's the last thing on the front of your notes, a simple statement that we often forget, my decisions affect my eternity. My decisions affect my eternity. And if that is true, the question becomes, what decisions will be good for me, not just now, but in eternity? What decisions will be good for me now and in the future? And so I want us to look at some principles about making decisions based on this idea that, they will, that, um, that our decisions now lead to either reward or regret. You know in the Bible, Jesus talks about this a lot. He says that the decisions that you make now affect whether you're given authority in heaven. It, it affects the honor that you're given in heaven. It affects the glory that you're given in heaven. Your decisions affect your eternity. So five ideas, principles for making decisions. They're on the inside of your teaching notes today. Here's, here's what it starts out with. Because my future is in heaven, here's five principles for decision making. Because my future is in heaven, my soul is more important than my success. When we make decisions, we often make them through the grid of what is going to make me the most successful. You know, if there's one great idol of American society, it it might be success. In fact, many of you are from immigrant families, and one of the reasons your family chose to come to America is because they had success as a value driving them, and it's one of the things that drew them to this country. And so for many of us, we make decisions through this grid. But it's possible to make decisions that make you successful, but that destroy your soul in the process. Listen to the words of Jesus. There's actually a very famous verse on this. He says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus says it's entirely possible to gain success and lose your soul. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a, a man that I, I actually knew him back in Charlotte. He was a part of our church. He was a member here several years ago since he's moved on for his job. And um, his dream in life was to be a CGI artist. And he started off kind of in his mom's basement teaching himself how to do CGI. But he didn't, hadn't really broken in, hadn't gotten a real consistent job with it. But he got a job interview with a major company, a company that everybody's heard of to do CGI work for them. And so he goes in for the job interview and it's like really normal, really normal, really normal and then halfway through the interview, they start asking him questions like, how do you feel about working on a project that includes a lot of sexual violence? He's like, what? And so they start just kind of going down this whole rabbit trail and they're like, would you be okay discussing that in the lunchroom and this and that? He's like, what are you talking about? And it turns out the job was to work on the project for Grand Theft Auto. And so they were asking him really serious questions. And he told me later, you know, like in the, in the interview, he kind of like froze, like he didn't know what to do. And so he just kind of like played kind of political with it. But when he went home, he thought about it and he prayed about it. And he said, man, I just don't think God wants me to do this. Because, and it's like, you know, part of it was like, I don't know what it would do to my soul to have to be working on that constantly. And so he had the option to break into the industry, but lose his soul in the process. And so after praying about it, he turned the job down. I was just, I was blown away by his faithfulness in that. That's a hard thing to, to, to give up, to sacrifice. So he turns the job down. And then like six months later, he got a job offer from a different company that God made a way where his, it wouldn't shrivel his soul in the process. And then today, he had, the reason he had to move away is because he went to go get a job working for Lucasfilm. He works for Industrial Light and Magic now. He works for the top CGI company, perhaps in the entire world. And I think it's because he chose to honor God, and so God honored him with his life. But there are decisions that you can make that will lead to success, but will shrivel your soul. Now, this is harder for you if your family of origin values success above everything else. You might say, well, I, you know, Pastor Jared, I'm saved. I'm a Christian now, and it's like, yeah, I understand that Jesus is in your heart, but Grandpa's in your bones, and like, what your what your family brings to you with is so hard to follow Jesus when your family is tugging you in the other direction, and it, be, it makes it more difficult. So when you have a major decision to make, you have to be hyper aware. Like, am I chasing success in a way that will destroy my soul? Number one, my soul is more important than my success. Number two. You can write this down. Because my future is in heaven, my sacrifices become rewards. Now, what is a sacrifice? My sacrifices become rewards. A sacrifice is something I give up today, something I value today that I give up in hopes that I will gain something better in the future. That's what a sacrifice is. But when your hope is in heaven, It means that the things that you give up, when you make a decision in light of eternity and when you make a decision for God, that that becomes a reward for you. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19. He says, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And you think like, you know, does this really apply to me? If, I, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you say like, does this apply to me? I mean, some of you are here in this city on purpose to help the church to spread the gospel. Have you given up houses? Yes, you have. You have apartments instead. You know, when I lived in Charlotte, I owned a three-bedroom house, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. My total mortgage payment was $700 a month. Is that crazy? That was also 15 years ago. I'm showing my age a little bit. But you do have to sometimes give up things for the sake of Jesus and for the gospel, but those sacrifices become rewards. I thought I was reflecting on this week on some of the sacrifices that God honors that people make. Some of you have chosen singleness instead of compromising in your dating relationships, and that that loneliness that you sometimes experience is a sacrifice, and I believe God rewards that. Some of you have forgone higher-paying jobs in order to follow God's calling on your life. I mean, our church is filled with people who could be, if they chose to, they could just be the highest-earning people in the world, but instead have chosen the calling of God. That is a sacrifice that you make. Many of you have moved away from your family and live here for the sake of the gospel. You've given up family to spread the message about Jesus, and I believe God rewards that. Some of you have chosen to stay in this city even though it is difficult. You've chosen to love the city instead of just using the city. I mean, most people come here to use the city, right? You come here, you get the promotion, you get the title, you get the pay, you get the experience, and then you bolt as soon as you've gotten what you want from the city. But so many of you in this church have chosen to stay and love this city. And there's a sacrifice with that. I wrote this down, having, having children. Having children is the greatest joy you can possibly have in this world, it is also nonstop sacrifice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when you choose to have children, the sleep you give up, I think, you know, just listen to the moms who are in here who have little kids, heaven is a place of rest. I just want you to know that. (laughs) And the, the sleep that you sacrifice now, I really believe God rewards you for those little things that you do so that you can love and serve someone else. And it's a good thing heaven lasts forever because it's going to take a long time to make up for your sleep deficit. But my sacrifices become rewards. You know, Some of us have this tendency to make decisions based on a fear that we're going to miss out on something. We make decisions on a fear that we're not going to have what we need. But if heaven is your home, then every sacrifice you make today, God multiplies 100 times. That's what Jesus said. You'll receive 100 times as much in return. Have you ever seen uh, on, online when they talk about 10X, right? It's like 10X your business. Like people who are really into multi-level marketing, they love this. You know, it's like you can 10X your business, you can 10X your clients. Jesus, who is always the OG, is like 100X. Here's how we do it. You sacrifice, God rewards you for your sacrifice. All right, number three. Write this down, it's on the next page in your notes. Because my future is in heaven, My comfort can wait. If you make decisions based on your comfort in this life, I really believe in faith that you'll regret that when you get to heaven. That there are things that are so much more important than comfort in this world. And many people will make decisions. Many of us make decisions. They seem good now, but they're not wise in light of eternity because it's comfortable. 2 Corinthians 4.17 was written by the Apostle Paul, and here's what it says. Our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long, but they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And when, when I read that verse, right, the thing that's supposed to strike you there is that you think, the Apostle Paul says we have these present troubles that are small, and they don't last very long. It's like, what is this dude talking about? This is the guy that was shipwrecked. This is the dude who was uh, whipped 39 times with a lead-tipped whip, three times, I mean, multiple times. This is a guy that was stoned and left for dead. This is a guy that often went hungry and thirsty, and he had the concern for all the churches piled on his shoulders. This This is the person who can say that our present troubles are small, and they don't last very long. The only way that can be true is in light of eternity. The only way that can be true is if heaven is the true comfort that you're waiting for. Um, I, like, I like to go camping. Do any, are there any campers in here, people who like to go camping? Okay, now how about this? How many of you hate camping with a burning passion, right? There's a couple, like people who hate camping really hate camping. But when you go, sometimes you travel to a foreign country. Sometimes you go camping and you just get gross over the course of a weekend. And then you come home. And you take a shower and you sleep in your own bed. You know how good that feels? That's how heaven feels. Heaven is the comfort that you're longing for. And so, what so many times, what we're trying to do in our life right now is turn this into glamping. Like, we want it to be so comfortable at all times, just totally surrounded by comfort. And we think, you know, I live in 1,500 square feet. This is not big enough for me. And it's like we already live in castles. Like, we're so obsessed with comfort that we don't even see it. And so we're missing out on the more important things that can drive your life forward, like the calling that God has for you to spread this message about Jesus or to pursue his good and his justice in this world or to show some compassion to some people that need it. Right? there's so many things. There's so much more powerful and beautiful and motivating than comfort and if you settle for comfort then when you're finally in comfort in heaven I think you will regret the time that you wasted in this life so if your future is in heaven your comfort can wait number four if my future is in heaven my generosity is an investment now, why did I put this one in here? Because when it comes to decision-making, what, what so often drives our decision-making, right? Let, let's be just honest here for a second, right? Money sometimes seriously drives our decision-making about what job we're taking or what career we're pursuing or what degree we're getting or where we're working or where we're moving to. Money can drive that. But in God's kingdom, if heaven is real then it's not about how much you can gain in this life. Instead, generosity is an investment in your future. Matthew 6, 19 through 20, Jesus talks about this. He talks about storing up your treasure. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal In other words, send your treasure somewhere that it's safe. And you do that, according to the Bible, by giving generously. That whenever you give your money away, you're storing it up for yourself in heaven. Um, There is, right before the Revolutionary War, it was 1775, there was a family in Virginia named the Fairfax family. And they were one of these families that, uh, they weren't patriots, they were part of the British aristocracy, and so they were massively rich. They had the huge plantation and the millions of acres of land grant from the king. And they could sense that the war was coming. And so they moved back to England and they wrote a letter to their good friend, George Washington, who lived across the river from them. And they said, would you please liquidate our estate, sell everything and send the money back to England? And so he did. And so he sold their plantation. He sold all of their property. He took all of the money and he sent it back to England. And one year later, the Revolutionary War broke out. And if he had not done that, they would have lost everything. You see, what they did was they sent their treasure somewhere where it was safe. Now, Christians are essentially supposed to do the same thing with their money if we're gonna be wise with the money God's given us. We're taking our money and we're sending it somewhere safe. And you might think, you know, are are moths really gonna eat them and, and rust destroy them and thieves break in and steal? Like, I don't know if you have a moth problem, but I will tell you this, inflation will eat away at your money. And if you're worried about thieves breaking in and stealing, I, that's actually happened to me on multiple occasions. When I was, My first memory is actually people broke into my house as a little child and robbed our house. But how about this? The government can take a third of your paycheck every single month. And if you earn enough, there's politicians talking about 90% taking 90% of what you make, right? But if you send it ahead, you have no risk of losing it. I thought about this, um, in heaven, there's no stock market crashes, there's no recessions, there's no thieves, there's no identity theft. Every, every dollar you give away is stored safe for you in heaven. Um, I heard the story of a man who, um, this was, a, the story's a, a couple years old because the man had lived through the Great Depression. And he, he, had, uh, he had amassed this great fortune. I think he had about $30 million. And he was meeting with his financial planner. And both of them were Christians. And they were doing some estate planning. And his, his financial planner was saying, like, listen, I, I think you should give some of your wealth away. Like, you know, make a gift of $3 million. Just make sure you're a generous person with the wealth that God's given you. And the man was having real trouble letting go of his, of his wealth, even though there was no way he would ever, you know, he would ever live in want or in need. And so finally, the planner was getting tired of this. He said... Um, what's holding you back from being generous? And the man said, I lived through the Great Depression, I lived through the stock market crash, and I lost more than $30 million in a single day. And his financial planner thought about this, and he said, I, You know, it was like, I understand now. And then he asked the man a question He said, And how would you have felt if you had given away millions of dollars the day before the stock market crash? And all of a sudden, things clicked in his mind. He decided to make a sizable contribution. When you give money away, it's safe. It's stored for you as treasure in heaven. You know, for us practically as people, I think this is something that we have to grow in is giving. And we have this thing we talk about at the church called the generosity ladder, which is essentially this idea that part of growing as a follower of Jesus. Now, this is the part that's for Christians. If you're not a Christian here, listen, we don't, we don't care about your money. Like, your, your number one deal is, like, what do I do with Jesus? And, and we can talk about that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, like, we have to grow in our generosity, right? Like, that's just part of following Jesus, who is the most radically generous person that ever lived. And so the goal as a church that we say is, we, is to take one step forward. Could you put the generosity ladder up, Meg? is to take one step forward in the generosity ladder, which means if you're, if you're not giving anything, to start by giving a first-time gift and saying, you know what, this is a risk for me, this is scary for me, because this money represents things to me, it represents security or comfort or a future or a family or whatever I was thinking this money was gonna get me, but in faith, I'm gonna take a step and give. If you've, if you've made a first-time gift, then you grow by giving regularly, I remember early on in, in my Christian life when I was a teenager, somebody taught me this idea of every time I get paid, I give a portion of it to the Lord and I've always done that and it actually makes it easier for me that I have this kind of consistent discipline in my life. Once you're giving regularly, the next step is to tithe, which is to bring God the full to his full 10%. Because you, you, in faith, trust me on this one, you can live better on 90% with God involved in your finances than you can on 100% without God involved in your finances. Tithing is something my wife and I have practiced since we were both teenagers, and it helps because when you make more money, that discipline is already in place in your life. Now listen, I know um, that uh, this is a little bit of an awkward talk at church, so I always tell people how much I make. You guys wanna know how much I make? Everybody's like, ha, we're nervous. I make about as much as, like, an assistant principal at a school. Like, something between what a teacher makes and what an assistant principal makes. And I hope that's fair. Right? Like, I just think, like, people deserve to know, right? Like, and, um you know, because sometimes the pastors have, like, three and four jets, which is just ridiculous. Like, one jet only per pastor. That's the absolute <laughs> maximum. <laughs> so, you know... We, we practice and my wife and I do that too because it's good for our soul. And then the last step on the generosity ladder, the goal is not just to hit a number. I don't think God is like, you know, God doesn't want your money. What he wants more than anything, I think, is your heart. Right, just to be this extravagantly generous person, just saying like, I know that if I give, God will take care of me. So I can, I, I can release my grip on money and money will release its grip on me and God will take care of me in faith. And so, listen, I, you know what? If the church is a hang-up for you, give somewhere else, seriously. Because your soul needs to be generous. And I, I, I'm not kidding about this. If the church is a hang-up, give to a different charity. Because you've gotta learn this, this discipline in your life of giving and it will free money's grip on you. So, um, when... Our home is in heaven. Our generosity is an investment in the future. Send your treasure where it will be safe. The last thing I want to say on this, I'm looking at my notes, sorry. The last thing I want to say on this is if you think about this for a second, how this will affect your decisions. When, when money doesn't control your life, you're free to make better decisions, aren't you? Have you ever known anybody who made a bad decision because of money? You ever know somebody who chased a bad prospect or a bad business because of money? You ever know somebody who, do, who, who is doing a profession that they hate because of money? Like, have you met half the doctors out there? The other half are all the ones here at this church, and we love you and we support you. <laughs> but like, like, it's, like, it's legit, right? Like, there's a lot of people who are doing jobs like that because they were chasing the money, but they don't love, they're not doing what God's called them to do. When you are a generous person, you release your grip on money. You are freed from making such terrible decisions. That's a pretty cool thought. Okay, that's the last thing on money. Number 5. The last thing we're talking about this morning here. Because my future is in heaven, my aim is to please Christ. If this life is all there is, then by all means, live for yourself and your own pleasure. That's what the Bible says. It says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Right? It's like quoting this sort of like nihilistic attitude and philosophy on life. If this is it, <laughs> then like live for your own pleasure. But if your future is not in the if your future is not in the ground, but your future is in heaven, then your greatest future glory, your greatest future honor, your greatest possible future comes from not living for you, but for living for Jesus. And that shapes every single decision that you make. Second Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 talks about this most directly. It says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, which is away from the body is saying like when you die, our goal is to please him for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Okay, now this passage is not about salvation. This, this passage is about reward. This passage is not about where you spend eternity. This passage is about how you spend eternity. And so if you wanna simplify the Bible's teachings on eternity, when you die, you, you, you'll have to face your creator and, and God will basically ask you two questions. The first one is Uh, the salvation question is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Did you say, you know what? I can't be good enough or religious enough or moral enough to earn my way into heaven. I've trusted Jesus by faith. And so I'm with Christ. That's the question about where you spend eternity. But the second question is about reward. And that is essentially, what did you do with the gifts that God gave you? what did you do with the time that god gave you what did you do with all of the resources with, with every decision that you made did you honor and aim to please christ the bible talks a lot and i think modern christians get this mixed up in our heads because we're always talking about grace which we should be that's like the foundation of our faith but there's sort of these two different questions here. The first one is I've trusted in Jesus and so heaven is my home. But the second one is what does heaven look like for you? And the decisions you make today affect that eternity. And so when you live to please Christ, your eternity is different. The authority that's given to you, the power that's given to you, the the honor and the glory that's given to you is different because of the decisions that you make today. Let's think for just a second back to that wedding day illustration in the beginning. We said, when the future becomes real to you and you realize you're going to have to stand in front of all these people at your wedding, and you're like, oh, that's going to be me in the future, it changes your decisions and your actions today. Well, the Bible says there is a day coming when instead of standing before a church full of witnesses, you'll have to stand before Jesus And it will be his gaze into your soul. And there will be nothing hidden on that day. There's no secrets with Jesus. And on that day, it will be a day of either reward or regret. And my deepest desire for you is that that's a day of reward, that that's a day of rejoicing, that you don't look back and say, man, I wasted my life, man, I live for my comfort, I live for my own pleasure, that instead you would, would, on that day, you would be celebrating that you were all in for Jesus that you told as many people as you possibly could about Jesus, that you were as generous as you could possibly be for Jesus, that every decision you make was about bringing Jesus' justice into this world and his compassion into this world and his mercy to the people that were around you, and that will be a day, not of regret, but of reward for you. When you aim to please Christ, your future is a future of reward. So it's true. Your beliefs about the future determine the decisions you make today. And it's also true that the decisions you make today affect your eternity. And so you have to make decisions that are wise in the light of eternity. But the last thing to say today is this. Today we've been talking all about how do you live if you know that heaven is your home? But for some of you here today, you don't know that. If I were to say to you, if you were to die today and stand in front of God and he would say, why should I let you into heaven? You would say, I'm, I'm not sure. I hope that I was good enough. But the great message of the Bible is not that God loves good people and hates bad people. The good news of the Bible is not that God loves religious people and hates irreligious people. Right? The good news of the Bible is that God is a father who loves the children he's made. And so anyone who is sick and tired of their sin and wants to have a relationship with their heavenly father can come to him through Jesus Christ and know their father, right? The, the, the overarching metaphor of the Bible is that God is your father. And think about your own father. Now, I hope you had a good father. For if you had a good father, then you know this. Did he love you when you were good and hate you when you were bad? No, that's not how a good father is. He loves you when you're good. He loves you when you're bad. But if there's a relational break, then what you need is forgiveness to have a restored relationship. And anyone can know for certain that heaven is your home by turning from your sin to follow Jesus. And then that first question will be answered. And when you stand before God at the end of your life, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? You don't have to point at your few good deeds that you did in 70 years. You don't have to point at your prayers or your generosity. You can just point to Jesus and say, I'm with him. If that's you today, I'm gonna pray in just a second here, and I wanna invite you to tell God that, that you want to know for certain that heaven is your home by trusting in Jesus. And if God is working deeply in your life today, you can make this your prayer and tell him that. Let's all pray together.